The Convention on Migratory Species has its roots in the watershed meeting in Stockholm in 1972, which was the first ever UN meeting on the environment. And the reason for this treaty is very, uh, very straightforward, which is that the kind of animals that we're dealing with are those that migrate and cross national borders. And that means already that for their survival, for their well-being, for their conservation, we have to bring countries together. Because if one country doesn't protect a species that is endangered, let's say, and another one does, then you know we don't have an even playing field across the, the, the range of the species. The basic premise of the treaty is to uh, identify species that need uh, to have some help in terms of their conservation status, need that need to bring governments together to work on very specific and you know practical, uh, conservation solutions, as well as looking at cross-cutting issues, such as the kinds of threats that we have to deal with. Could you give a couple of examples of those uh, species which uh, demand special uh, attention and uh, also the threats uh, for those species? We deal with species in every type of environment, meaning uh, birds, avian species, terrestrial species, including you know mostly mammals, as well as aquatic species. So maybe starting with aquatic species, we have uh, numerous whale species, for example. All of the sea turtles, the great sea turtles, the reason they need to be on the treaty is because they encounter in their migration many kinds of risks, including bycatch in fisheries, uh, when we're talking in the oceans, as well as for turtles uh, in their nesting areas where they come to lay their eggs. There can be uh, destruction of those nests, light pollution can cause uh, stress and, and changes in the behavior and the gender even of the, the turtles in some cases. So that's one example. Moving to uh, the land, uh, we have species such as the jaguar, which is found in Latin America, a very important species that covers a very wide range. So it crosses so many different countries that it's, again, its survival is dependent on having uh, countries come together to agree on measures to protect it and, and make sure it, it continues to exist. These animals need to be able to move, but if they meet a road or a fence or a railroad, et cetera, they're not gonna be able to travel. So looking at ways to ensure that there's good connectivity of for corridors for those species to move between areas and including across borders is also very critical. And then moving to, to our skies, we have the most species listed on CMS, in fact, are bird species. And there are many different uh, species. Uh, everyone has a favorite. Um, the osprey is one that I, I love uh, because it's found everywhere in the world. And the osprey, it's a good news story in many places because um, you know one of the early threats to some species were some of the uh, chemicals that were used, uh, some of the insecticides and the osprey were among the species uh, impacted and they've recovered from that. The fact is that, you know, for each of the species that we deal with, there really are a set of circumstances where it's found and what countries have to be involved and what are the particular conservation needs and threats. Is there any particular results uh, the convention can be proud of? They picked out in the report 14 species in particular where there's been a lot of progress. Uh, that includes the humpback whale, and it was a combination of uh, reduce, reduction of commercial whaling, but also addressing 
other issues like bycatch uh, in fisheries, as well as ship strikes, which is another set of issues. Um, another good example is the vicuña, which is a beautiful animal found in the Andes. Um, and that animal also had been in very steep decline and it's doing tremendously better. So it's just two quick examples. But the point is we know what needs to be done. There is definitely a lot of reason for hope. And what we need is to first and foremost, ensure that CMS is fully and effectively implemented. In some cases, we can have a regional approach. So for example, we have an initiative in Central Asia. It's called the Central Asian Mammal Initiative. And all of the five Central Asian countries and a few others, including Mongolia, are at the table. And there we look at, uh, it's all um, species of antelope and gazelle. And the countries have agreed on a set of priorities. And, and there are some good successes, including the Saiga antelope, which had been in massive decline and there's now maybe 2 million of them in Kazakhstan. So it's it's really wonderful to see that kind of a result. What are, are the expectations? What do parties to the convention intend to discuss and maybe set forward some plans for the future? We have a very, very uh, robust agenda for next week. Like dozens of different topics on policies for the different types of species. There are cross-cutting issues, and one such issue is light pollution. And the fact is that I believe it's 2% per year is the growth now that we're seeing of the amount of earth that is lit. At nighttime, uh, in, in nature, there's not a lot of fake light. It's not the natural habitat. And so light, like other kinds of disturbances, uh, can actually have a, a pretty severe impact on, on numerous migratory species. And one, one example is birds. And when birds are migrating, if they are distracted by light pollution, they can be drawn into uh, cities, you know, lose their, their correct course, and then have fatalities. It's actually, you know, killing hundreds of millions of birds uh, a year. It's something that's very solvable. And we have experts that have come together with guidelines that can be applied globally to that issue. And we're hoping to adopt those and launch those, just as one example. Climate change is on the agenda. Wildlife disease is on the agenda, another area that we do a lot of work on. So it's an extremely active uh, COP and a very active convention. So it's going to be an incredible COP. Uh, we have an amazing host here in Samarkand, Uzbekistan. We expect a record number of uh, uh, attendees. And we are very uh, hopeful for some some excellent results at the end of the week. I understand that there is a lot that can be done on the level of uh, political decisions. Is there anything that uh, people in their everyday life could do to facilitate uh, the improvement of conditions for migratory species? No, absolutely. Uh, first, coming back to the point on light pollution, the guidelines are broad. And while some of them are aimed at governments and cities, for example, can do a lot or private sector, so can uh, any any person who has a home and can learn how to reduce the impact of light pollution, which can include, of course, shutting off a light at night, but also even the type of light that they use or the way that they shine it. That already uh, would be uh, a very helpful measure. Another, of course, which is controversial in some discussions, but uh, when people have domestic animals, um, some of those animals can have a pretty significant impact on wild species, and that includes 
domestic cats. There's a lot of science studies on that and the uh, uh, vast numbers of, uh, of birds that can be killed because of, uh, of cats doing what they do. You know, they are predators um, and it's not their natural environment. So in a way, they're, they're sort of uh, invasive species in terms of the impacts uh, on those uh, wild species. Um, another is, of course, you know, broader issues in terms of just sustainable use and uh, what people are doing around reducing use use of energy and water and all of those things, of course, will contribute to to the well-being of ecosystems, addressing the broader issues of of climate, of course, and uh, and the species on the planet.